the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome, listeners. Today, I have guests David Mandel and Adam Braunscheidel from the OJM Group, which is a financial consulting firm. They have over a 1,000 clients they provide financial advice to, and they have generously agreed to come on the show to discuss some financial topics with us. I'm hoping this will be the first of many. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having Great us. Great to have you. Great to have you. I've been wanting to do a financial podcast forever. And just as a background, we are part of the Helio Network, and these gentlemen have posted many lessons and topics on there, and I'd welcome you to look at it, but I was able to reach out to them through that network and found out that they do a lot of work with physicians. So I thought maybe they could help us. So really glad to have you. And FYI for our listeners, I'm generating these questions from a book that they've published, uh, Wealth Management Made Simple, Seven Simple But Not Easy Lessons on Your Investments and Your Wealth. And there's a lot of good information in there. In the book, there's also discussion on real estate and real estate investment trust. You talk about alternative investments and commodities, and then things like structured funds, hedge funds, and options. And I know I'm throwing a whole lot of stuff together, but just the sake of time, could you touch on some of these and explain to our listeners what each one is, where they might fit into a portfolio? So real estate property, right? People understand this. It could be owning their home as part of their portfolio, right? It's an investment in real estate. They own their home. Some people might be interested in investing in other types of real estate, you know, raw land. They think it'll go up in value. Pretty simple to understand. Income producing property like owning uh, an apartment. Uh, own apartment building, or other types of uh, even storage facilities, et cetera, what, ha- what have you. Anything where there's real estate, real property is attractive to people because they understand it, right? Everybody understands what a home is. They may not own their own home, but they can conceptualize it pretty easy. And they have probably paid a mortgage or rent. And so they can understand, okay, how this could create income as well as the value going up. So I think real estate can be of interest to PAs and and, uh, and docs, and we have clients who are interested in that. The, the downside to real estate is it takes maintenance, right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, the fridge doesn't work. There's a storm and something gets, you know, the, the windows get broken or the roof has a problem or the, the tenants, you know, do X and it needs to be fixed, et cetera. There is a level of, Continuing investment that needs to be made into these assets, unlike, you know, have to put more money into your stock or your bond, right? That's passive. Uh, you'll get your return out of it. You'll get your, you know, gains and losses, whatever, but you don't have to put any effort into it. With real estate, there will be effort, and that's where you get paid for. So we have clients who, you know, they, that's what they do. They have some rental properties, and they manage it. And if they don't manage it, they got to pay a manager to do that. And if you pay a manager to do it, now you're cutting into a lot of the profit, Right. So then there are folks like me who are interested in real estate, but have absolutely no desire to manage a piece of property. Okay. Just me personally, you know, just doesn't mean everybody at OJM or anything like that. I'm just speaking for myself. So how could I invest in real estate, but not have any of the headaches of maintaining it? Well, there are what are called real estate investment trusts, what are called REITs. And this is a trust that owns a pool of typically income-producing real estate assets. 
So a REIT might invest in office buildings or shopping centers or storage facilities or apartments or hotels, et cetera, or just own the mortgages or loans, et cetera, and make loans based, uh, uh, you know, with secured by real estate. And so this allows me, and again, this is part of what Adam and our team work with clients. If we want real estate to be part of their portfolio and they're not, you know, beyond their home, uh, but we want something that's more liquid, right? That's the other problem of real estate is you, just, you can't sell it right away, right? Whereas a REIT, you're buying into a trust that has all these different properties in it, right? So you're getting that diversification, right? I could buy one building here in Fort Lauderdale. Well, now I'm subject completely to the Fort Lauderdale real estate market. If I take that money and buy into a apartment building REIT that has REITs all over the country, and even if there's a downturn here in South Florida or there's a hurricane down here in South Florida, I'm diversified. So the read allows me not only to not have the difficulty of finding the property and, and buying it and maintaining it and all the risk that goes there, but it also can be more diversified. So investors who are looking for real estate investments that want that diversification, that want income, meaning a lot of these will pay a annual quarterly essentially dividend. So I can get income on it. I can get some potential growth if the assets go up in value. And it's a passive asset for me. So I don't have to do anything. I let the professionals who run the REIT, and oftentimes they have significant track records over years and decades of doing real estate deals, right? I can let the professionals do that. And I can invest as a passive investor in their deals. Why would someone not be interested in, in a REIT? Well, uh, they can be complex. You have to choose the right, like anything, you know, uh, REIT, there's lots of different strategies out there, lots of different managers. A lot of times we may go into a REIT that's not traded. So that liquidity piece I talked about is not there, meaning I buy into it. I can't really sell it in four or five years. They, they want to not have a, a lot of trading or any trading in that investment until they've executed their strategy, bought enough of these, let's say, shopping malls or bought enough of these hotels. And then at some point, it may become uh, traded and then I can get my money out. So that sometimes is not attractive to people. So bottom line is real estate, we all understand. We go out and do it. We buy the property, we find the property, we maintain the property, all of those kinds of things. That can be valuable. But if you're looking to have real estate as part of your portfolio, but you don't want to do all of those things, and you want to buy into a, uh, an investment where a professional does it, you can do that in what's called a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Adam, just to piggyback real quick on you, as we transition here a little bit into the alternative side, we, we use a lot of non-traded real estate for our clients. And I'll give you an example of, of why we do that. Again, I go back to us humans being emotional creatures. And during COVID, that, that early first half of 2020, when market public markets were down, I mean, we were down five to 10% daily at, at, at certain points, really in March of 2020. These publicly traded REITs, because of the uncertainty around, are we ever going to go back to the office? Things were closing left and right. We, there was a lot of uncertainty. Publicly traded real estate was down 40 to 50% at one point. It goes back to the, the pricing dislocations that can, can happen in the public markets. Was that real estate really worth 40 to 50% less? I think with the benefit of hindsight now where we are today, looking back, no, that, that really was, was clearly a short-term dislocation in, in, in the publicly traded market. 
So there's a big reason why we emphasize because publicly traded stocks are volatile, especially in real estate. We like when we look at alternatives, the broad term encompasses a lot of wide ranging investment strategies, but we like them because we want these to not correlate with your traditional stock market, right? We want these to be a buffer when things aren't going well in the public markets that they hold kind of serve as a ballast for the portfolio. And these alternatives, they can be liquid, they can be illiquid. You can buy them in mutual funds, you can buy them in ETFs, or you can buy them through these non-traded structures like David alluded to on the real estate side. In terms of other investments, you've probably heard of private equity, hedge funds, commodities, you know, precious metals, rare coins, wine, art. It's really all encompassing. But for us, how we define alternatives is we wanted to not have low correlation to the public stock markets and more, more specifically the S&P 500. So really, that's how we view alternatives. It's really dependent on the investor, their risk tolerance, whether one investment vehicle makes sense, more or less sense for that individual or that family. Sometimes with the, these alternatives, they, they, they can be a liquid. Right? So that can be a concern for people if, if you go into something and say, hey, I, I'm thinking about buying a house for a co- in two years, but I need somewhere to park money in the short term. Well, you, you probably don't want to go buy a non-traded real estate deal that you really can't get out of. You, you, there is some liquidity, but not as much as not as readily available as the publicly traded markets. Switching gears a little bit here to commodities, I think most people probably are familiar with, 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 with what commodities are, whether it's oil, natural gas. There's many different commodities, but gold, silver are typically the two that, and oil, really the three that most people are familiar with or or what they mean when they talk about commodities. Commodities all serve different purposes. Oil is the obvious, right? We we still have a major need for for oil in this world, and and that has its purpose, and you can actually trade. You can trade on the price of oil. It's it's been a, a pretty wild two years in terms of what's happened with the price of oil. Back during COVID, when no one was driving, no one was traveling anywhere, oil demand fell off a cliff, and oil prices got, you know, down to thirty, under thirty dollars a barrel. Fast forward today, when you know we have a a, a a war going on and supply is being constricted for various reasons, oil is now above one hundred one hundred ten dollars a barrel. So pretty volatile in terms of the last two years for the price of just just oil. You know, commodities you can buy, again, through an ETF, mutual fund, private funds. There's, there's multiple ways to, to go about accessing that space. But for us, we typically use commodities for, for re, you know, depends on what the commodity is. Gold is a great example. Traditionally, we, we advise clients to not necessarily buy gold through an ETF or an exchange or a mutual fund. If I'm going to own a commodity like gold, I'd rather own the physical asset. I tell clients all the time, buy some gold bullion, buy actual physical gold. And that really helps serve as a hedge against inflation or, or, or the dollar in, in kind of historical context. So there's a lot of reasons why investors would or wouldn't use the various commodities, but at, at a basic level, hopefully that helps provide some, uh, some high-level information. That's awesome information for both of you. I really appreciate it. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on today. I could talk for hours. Also, David and Adam in OJM Group are offering a free copy of their book, the wealth management book I discussed earlier, and we'll provide information for you on how to get that at the end of the podcast. 
So David and Adam, any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think getting the book it would be a great uh, next step because it does kind of start with the basics as we talked about today into how to find a financial advisor. If you want one, what are the mod business models out there? I think a big problem that people, you know, prevents them from moving forward is they don't know who to trust in terms of uh, if they're going to work with a professional advisor. And we try to you know, pull back the curtain and explain what the business model is in, what a fiduciary standard is, what a suitability standard is. And so I'd really encourage people to get the book because they can learn on their own and hopefully it can help them move forward for their own benefit. Great. Well, thank you both for being on today. I really appreciate your time and expertise. The options for getting your copy of the book, you can visit the OJM Bookstore. It's ojmbookstore.com and enter the promo code PAOS. That's all caps at checkout. Now, this is for PAOS members. You could also text PAOS to 844-418-1212. And that's for a free copy of the Wealth Management book produced by OJM Group. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on today. I hope we can do more of these down the road. Sounds great. Thanks for having us. And we'd be happy to get back on. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistance and Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.